We're joined by political analyst, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin, Scott Reed, and I guess uh, Halloween must be a mixed affair in your house, Scott. Somebody's got to man the door. You got little kids. You got grown, grown boys. Uh, so what's going on in your way? And a hockey game tonight, a hockey game scheduled on Halloween, which has been no source of uh, spooky controversy uh, inside the household. But anyway, making it all work, balancing all the plates, all that kind of stuff. And my nine-year-old is absolutely just throbbing with anticipation. You know, remember, right, for him, two years ago, Halloween canceled altogether. Yep. Last year, he had to wear a mask. He's uh, and, I, and not the scary kind. And uh, and so he's he's absolutely. Absolutely jacked. So can't wait for tonight. Okay. Uh, things seem to be a little bit jacked when it comes to the relationship between the Ford administration and uh, education w workers. Uh, let's see if I can set the table because there's a lot of moving parts here. We had um, the union saying that they were going to engage in a work stoppage as of Friday. We had the governments uh, saying, fine, then we're going to legislate a contract and we're going to do it on Monday. And all of this against the backdrop of negotiations continuing yesterday. And now the education workers are saying, well, if you weren't serious about this, why were we talking in the first place? Yeah, which is probably a valid question. Uh, look, here's my take. Uh, they're going to legislate them, and they probably, they being the government, probably will not pay any particularly heavy political price. But I do think it's an overreach. I don't think that there's been bargaining in good faith. I think there was, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric on the part of the union. Um, but I think fundamentally, you had a government that wasn't interested in budging. And so it said, listen, this is what our fair offer is. And if you don't take it, well, then that's that. So that's not really a negotiation. And I think bringing back the legislation is... Is, a, is an overreach. These aren't the people who, you know, you know, these are not the teachers. These are the people who keep the hallways clean. And I think that, you know, ultimately, this isn't about those workers. This is the government trying to send a signal while it is in concurrent negotiations with the teachers unions that it will play this thing right up against the wall that the timing of the elections have been such that they feel they've got all the leverage. And, um, and they're not gonna they're not gonna let anything stretch out over days and weeks. They're gonna move. So as soon as there's talk of strike vote, then there's talk of legislation. And I really think all of this is about trying to keep the teachers union in line. It's um, kind of tough, though. I mean, you've been alluding to this. Uh, this is probably the wrong union to pick a fight with, especially the teachers' assistants. I mean, when you have to wear hockey protective gear in order to work with disruptive children, you're not necessarily the greedy pants the government's making you out to be. Well, we'll see. Um, for, sorry, that wasn't the appropriate response. Yes, you're right. There's enormously sympathetic um you know, people on the other end of the uh, of the legislation here, but we'll see whether those um, folks are able to <clears throat> make their stories heard. Um, my guess is it's going to be very difficult, and uh, the government again probably won't pay a political price. That doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, and that that by the way is an interesting sidebar. Increasingly, our evaluation of how and and why governments manage things all boils down to well can they get away with it and i don't know that that's an adequate question uh an adequate lens for analysis i really i i i think the government 
frankly just felt like it didn't have to negotiate. It wasn't going to negotiate and it would use the hammer of legislation. And, and I think it wants to be seen as just that strong. It wants to be swinging that hammer around because it's Thor and it sees the uh, frost giants of the teachers union coming. Meanwhile, Peter Slowly, former chief of police in Ottawa, was testifying on Friday about how things unfolded during the convoy protest. Things got fairly emotional. He's back on the stand today. Um, when you look at a red-eyed photograph of Peter Slowly looking very, very unhappy as he sits before a judge's inquiry, are you sympathetic or is this a guy who just wasn't good at his job? Uh, both, but overwhelmingly I'm you know, I, I, I think in an odd way, we're missing the big story. And it's natural because you are caught up in the drama of his testimony, the details of his testimony and the motion that he displayed in and around it. But I, I say I think we, we're, we're missing the fundamental takeaway in the sense that we're all sort of going, well, am I or am I not sympathetic toward Peter Slowly? But it doesn't matter the answer to that question. Ultimately, the answer to that question more fundamentally is, wow, he he really characterized the situation that was out of control, um, perhaps due to his own incompetence and misjudgments, um, perhaps due to the fact that the OPP didn't want to play unless they got to uh, big pants their way into the exercise, um, perhaps because others at the political and other policing levels uh, weren't willing to back him up until he had collapsed. It, but ultimately, what's left is he portrayed a situation that was chaotic. And, um, and I think that augurs in a weird way positively for, for the federal government because it shows you that they were left with little option after three weeks other than to do something because this guy had to resign halfway through. That's how messed up it was. So I'm not really in the crowd of people who think that uh, Twitter went to hell in a 24-hour period, but I do have some concerns about its future, especially when the guy who bought it on Friday was tweeting fake stories or support for them um, by Saturday. Elon Musk tweeting his uh, basic endorsement of a story that pretends that um, uh, Paul Pelosi, the husband of Nancy Pelosi, who was attacked with a hammer in his home, that the whole thing was staged and it's actually his gay lover. And so if the guy who wants to make Twitter more relevant is sharing bogus right-wing conspiracy theories, you have to wonder what's going on. Well, I don't have to wonder. I know what's going on. Uh, you got an idiot in charge of one of the largest social media platforms in the world, one of the largest meeting places digitally for uh, for folks uh, in our society. And um, it's going to become an even bigger toilet. I mean, he couldn't be crisp, more crystal clear about where and how he approaches this, where he's coming from, how he approaches this, than to send out disinformation within 48 hours of taking over as the majority owner. I mean, he himself is using it to propagate disinformation. So that tells you what to expect. It's going to be a toilet. And, you know, I, I, I don't think we've understood and won't understand for 20 more years the truly eroding effect that uh, unstructured social media, permitting people to use it simply to spread lies and misinformation. I don't think we understand the full ambit of it. I don't think we understand how it's eroding our institutions, how it's creating distance, not uh, not connectivity between us all. I just think it's um, 
you know, you can look at a lot of the ills of the world and the ability to congregate online, uh, tell people that what they believe, whether it's true or not, uh, that they're right to believe that and they're right to be angry and then feed it with misinformation for cynical purposes, whether financial or political. It's a it's an issue, man. It's a big issue and it's going to get worse. Well, and it's the coming together of stuff that has sort of been, you know, circling around and now converging for the last 20 years. For example, first thing was to undermine legitimate media. And now you have a story like this come out and you'll have people who are trying to play to advantage by pretending that the guy is not a right wing nutter. Um, and so then I like get messages saying, why aren't you telling the truth about this story? Because it's not true. It was made up. Well, Elon Musk likes it. Yeah, because Elon Musk is an idiot. Yeah, it's I mean, it's incredibly dispiriting. And, you know, and obviously the principle of free speech is vital. Um, you know, people have to be able to say things, even if they're wrong. But it's the cynicism that's involved with it. And then the, you know, the the unwillingness to say, well, if we're going to play basketball, we all have to agree where out of bounds is that doesn't happen here so you can't really have a constructive competition of thought and speech so you know it's 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 incredibly dispiriting when the person that owns the platform says yeah i want to willingly and happily participate in disinformation and um so you're going to get you're going to get more bad it's just that simple thanks a lot scott good to have you this morning see you sir